so after being released, he, um, he went on another missionary journey uh, to what would eventually be uh, Spain. And when he comes back to Rome, um, he's arrested yet again, and he's thrown into a, a dungeon type of prison. You know, what we imagine prisons were like back then, uh, that's, that's the kind he's thrown into this, this next time. Uh, and it's, we kind of get some clues to that, because, uh, you know, he asks in this letter that somebody bring him a cloak, because it's so cold and damp where he is. Um, and so this is going to be Paul's last letter before his death. Uh, shortly after writing this letter, he's beheaded by Caesar Nero. And I think Paul knew that. He knew the, the writing was on the wall, so to speak. Uh, so he's, again, he's writing to uh, a younger pastor, Timothy, who, um, you know, we just finished the study of 1 Timothy. And this time, he's not covering so much how to do the job of a pastor, which is what a lot of 1 Timothy is about. Um, and he's not just talking about how to administrate church funds, because there was a section about that, or, or how to just deal with troubled people in the church. Um, this time, he's encouraging Timothy to, you know, he, there's a little bit of that practical stuff like that. But he, for the most part, he's encouraging Timothy to keep going, to press on. To continue in the faith as he himself had done for so many years. So, all that being said, we're going to start in verse 1, but before we do, let's go ahead and pray and we'll dig into it. Uh, Jesus, we thank you this evening for blessing us to be able to gather together. Um, and, and we just pray that you bless us to, uh, to understand your word and through it to understand you better. We pray for discernment. Lord, what we get right, we pray that we apply it and that we use it to walk in such a way that we shed a light to the world, that we glorify you. Uh, whatever we get wrong, Lord, uh, wipe it from our minds, but replace it with a zeal to come back and try harder next time. To come back and study your word. Lord, we pray for your blessing on your people and on the message in Jesus' name. Second Timothy uh, 1, verse 1, is Paul, uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So he kno Paul knows he's days or weeks from death. And he opens this, his last letter, the last thing he's going to write, as far as we know. And he says, here's who I am, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It was God's will playing out in my life. And even though I may have struggles and doubts and questions about why I'm here and how I ended up here, I know God's will has been at the forefront of my life. And he talks about the promise. Even though he's facing death, he talks about the promise of life in Christ Jesus. He's looking forward to what comes next. Not dreading. And in verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God and uh, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy, my beloved son. Now Timothy was not his blood relative. 
right? But uh, we, we know from Acts and, and Paul's writings as well that t- Timothy, his father was uh, Greek and his mother was, uh, was Jewish. And on Paul's first missionary journey to, um, to Lystra, which sometimes when we read these names in Acts, it's hard to, you know, we picture everything as just like, oh, it's another town around Jerusalem. But Lystra was modern-day Turkey. Paul, you know, he was out and about uh, when he ran into Timothy. But uh, he, some people say, oh, he led Timothy to faith. I don't think that's the case. I think he clarified some things for him. I think Timothy believed that, you know, there was a lot of new information coming out pretty quickly at that time. And we see elsewhere where, you know, there were people who didn't know about the Holy Spirit and didn't know about certain things. And so, either way, Paul meets him on his first missionary journey. Then he goes and he travels around, and then on his second missionary journey, he comes back to the same area, and he hears reports of this young man who is, you know, full of faith, and, and he basically he runs into Timothy again. And this time, he took him along with him as a co-laborer, you know, as, as a partner in the ministry. Which I think is just an important thing to notice. You know that this is Paul's got lots of things going on. He's busy, and there are lots of people that he could spend his time with and spend his energy on. And he took this young guy who probably didn't know nearly as much as Paul. And we're going to find out he Timothy had all kinds of shortcomings, but still Paul takes him along with him. And he pours into him. I think it's, it's really important uh, that you look for somebody like that in your life. If you're a young person, look for an older person to to, to learn from. And if, if you're, you know, a little more seasoned, look for some young people that you can pour into. And even if you don't, you know, you like, I thought it was cute, Landon still thinks of himself as, as young. Uh, my 17-year-old does not think you're young, Landon, just so you know. Uh, but, you know, even no matter how young you are or how, uh, you know, there's someone younger than you probably in the faith uh, that you could you could help out. You could, you know, tell a few things that you've learned and, and show them a few things. Proverbs 14, verse 4, I like how this reads in the New Living Translation. It says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. You know, we like to say, well, that person, they're not ready yet, they're not polished enough, um, they don't know enough, or, or whatever, uh, And they, but they never will, unless you let them do it. Part of what we do here on Wednesday nights, why we've, we've had, you know, two speakers, we're going to kind of transition to just one speaker per Wednesday um, coming up, um, because I'm getting old, you know. Uh, uh, comparatively, because yeah, you are young compared to me. Uh, but no, you you know you. I love that. Uh, without oxen, a stable stays clean, right? You can do things really efficiently if you do it just the way you want it all the time until you can't do it, and now there's no one to do it. And you may see that in your workplace, right? That one guy that won't train anybody. He's really good at his job, but he won't teach anybody else how to be good at his job. Because he's like threatened by it or something. That's not a recipe for success. 
the, the best people are the ones that will train the next person, and, and they may have some ideas that that person didn't have. Take a chance on someone, whether it's in church or, or at work. Take a chance on somebody and, and teach them a thing or two, and, and maybe they might be able to teach you a thing or two. Anyway, so Paul says to Timothy, um, you know, he says, To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, most of Paul's letters start the same way. Grace and peace to you. He uses two different greetings, right? He uses grace, peros, is the Greek greeting. And he uses peace, shalom, right? He, he, he knew his audience, right? He had a mixture of, of Jew and Gentile, and so he would, he would greet them with, you know, Gentile and Jewish, grace and peace, those, I wish both of those things upon you. But when he writes to Timothy, he adds, we talked about this in First Timothy. Timothy is like family to him, right? He calls him his son in the faith. He's a fellow servant of the Lord. And so in family and in ministry, mercy is essential. His grace is, is you get what you don't deserve, right? You get better than you deserve. But mercy is, I'm not going to give you what you do deserve when it comes to judgment, right? I'm, I'm withholding the rough stuff from you. I'm not judging you because your family home is safe. Home is judgment-free. Um, you can always know that I am for you. And that's what mercy is supposed to convey. We need that in ministry. We need that in our homes. The kids need to know that yeah, sometimes they they got to have judgment. And sometimes judgment, you know, comes at the end of the paddle, you know. Uh, but but they need to be able to to know that, you know, I'm you're not going to not love me after after we talked about this. You know? And so he lets Timothy know, look, uh, grace and peace, but also mercy. There's no judgment when, when I'm telling you these things. I'm not judging you. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3 says, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. So Paul's in prison, waiting to be executed, and he's praying night and day for other people. For Timothy. I don't know what it is, but I think all of us in some way feel trapped in some area of your life. Maybe it's uh, a mountain of debt. Maybe you're trapped in a job that's just boring that you can't find another one. Or maybe you're, uh, well, I don't know, in a bad relationship or, or whatever it is. And you may feel like it was hopeless. There's nothing I can do in this position that I'm in. And, and even in this position, Paul prayed for other people. And that's what—that's part of what you can do in that situation. You may be in that boring job that you can't stand. And, and maybe that's, I'm not saying that's all that God has for you. Maybe he's got a different thing for you down the road. But while you're there, 
you know, you can probably do it on autopilot because you're so bored, right? Well, use that time to pray. Use that time to minister to people around you. There's, a, there's something there that you can do. From another jail cell, uh, around this same time, Paul wrote this in Philippians 4, verse 11, which I think it's interesting. Philippians, they call it the book of joy. And he talks about uh, how to have joy in every circumstance and all of that um, while he's in prison. But he wrote this in verse 11. He says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And you notice Paul said, I have learned to be content. I, sometimes I've really identified with this, that song from Nirvana where like, I wish I was like you, easily in need. You know, there are some people that I'm like, I just, like they're fine with whatever happens, and I wish I was like that. Uh, but maybe they're not just like that. Maybe they've learned that secret ability. Like the secret to being happy is being content. Content. Uh, Paul learned that. And in prison, he could say, look, I'm, this isn't ideal, but I'm content. Because I, I know that Jesus is with me. In 1 Timothy 6, uh, Paul said, now there's great gain in godliness and contentment. Right? That's, that's the best thing you can, you can seek after in this world. Is godliness and contentment. So Paul, he says, Timothy, I'm praying for you uh, night and day verse 4, 2 Timothy 1, verse 4. It says, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, that I may be filled with joy. So he misses Timothy. He says, I recall your tears. Timothy, so here's what we know about Timothy. Right? He had a nervous stomach. Uh, yeah, he, he, he had IBS or something. I don't know. He had some kind of stomach condition. Uh, he was very nervous. He seems to be timid. Uh, and apparently he's a crybaby, I guess. No, that's not a fair thing to call He was very open with his emotions. Right? Um, so he's, he's frail physically. He's kind of timid. He's kind of, you know, frail emotionally. And this is the guy that Paul, who was this bold person, has spent the most majority of his time with and poured into. And he says, I miss you, and I remember you crying when we separated. Verse 5, For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you. The sincere faith. Again, we talked, it's oddly, uh, oddly enough, Paul talked about sincere faith literally in the fifth verse of the first chapter of his first letter to Timothy. Uh, he talked about sincere faith. And so, um, real brief recap on what that word is. Right, This word sincere is, is um, a, a unique word. 
It means without wax. And yet you may think, well, that yeah, that's super clear, right? Uh, but what this was talking about was in the ancient world was pottery, right? If, you, if there were cracks in the pottery, it's going to leak, and you know, it's useless. And so what many of the merchants would do is they would fill those cracks with wax. Right? They'd melt some wax, put it in there, smooth it out, paint over it, and sell it in the marketplace. And then as soon as you put some hot liquid in there, it melts the wax and brings the leak. And so the, the good quality merchants, they would mark their, their wares as sincere, without wax. Right? That's our guarantee. And he says, Timothy, I know that your faith is the real deal. It doesn't fall, it's not just looks good on the surface that falls apart whenever, you know, a little heat is applied to it. It's what you see is what you get. It's not, um, you know, you paint it over and made it look good, but inside it's, it's, it's not real. And that's his... That's one of the things that he, he says is our high calling as, as believers is to have a sincere faith. doesn't mean that there are no cracks, but you make your cracks visible, right? Yeah, this is an area where I struggle, but I'm not going to pretend like I don't and act like I have it all figured out. And so apparently sincerity is the word that just came to mind when it came to Timothy and his faith. Right? It's twice Paul's talks about the sincerity of his faith. And that's an awesome testimony, right? If if anytime someone thought of your name and they that was the word that popped up, that's a great testimony. What word would people associate with, with you and your faith? How would they describe you and your faith? You know, would it be sincere or or you know, they're really passionate or earnest? Or would it be like fake or flaky or off and on or lukewarm? Or I'll let you think about that one on your own. For verse 5, he, we'll read it again. He says, I'm mindful of the sincere faith, the real deal that's within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that it is in you as well. So this is why I say, some people say Paul led Timothy to faith. Well, it sure looks I think his mother and grandmother did their job, right? And 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 instilled faith in him. Elsewhere it talks about how that they had reasoned from the old from the scriptures, which they only had the Old Testament, so you could be saved from the Old Testament because it talked about Jesus coming. Anyway, that's another topic for another time, but but what an awesome legacy, right? A legacy of faith. He says, I, I knew your mother and your grandmother, and they were full of faith, and you have that same faith. We all, like it or not, we pass on all kinds of things to our kids. Much of what we pass on is baggage. Right? Stuff that we've been carrying that we should have put down some point, but we carried it and we handed it off to our kids, and now they get to carry it and call it, uh, oh, you know, oh, our family just has bad tempers. No, that's, that your family doesn't know how to deal with emotions, and they pass that on, you know. Um, 
or whatever. It could be all kinds of things. But you're going to pass on some baggage, like it or not, no matter how hard you try. Uh, but you can also leave a heritage, a legacy of faith. Uh, so talk to your kids, pray with them, bring them to bring them to VBS. We're going to have that here in a few weeks. Uh, my wife was saved at a VBS. Not ours, it was a long time ago. But, you know, that's, uh, that, you know, somebody at that vacation Bible school probably had no idea, but they, they said the words that convinced her to believe, and she's been working with kids for 20 years, and who knows how many people, you know, that stuff that goes on, it creates a legacy. Somebody was Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher, and they probably have no idea the impact they have. Verse 6, for this reason... I wasn't calling Deanna Billy Graham, but that's another thing. Verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. He says, you have this godly heritage, you have this sincere faith, it's the real deal, so don't let your gift go unused, or go dormant. He says, kindle it afresh. He, he seemed to indicate in his last letter uh, that Timothy's primary gifting, I think, was teaching. Right? Because he, he kept bringing up teaching when it came to Timothy. Um, and so Timothy had gotten really busy with, with settling disputes in the church and running the day-to-day things of the church. and He'd gotten busy. I like to say that, that, you know, that stands for being under Satan's yoke. Right? It's it's a form of bondage we put ourselves in. So he was so busy that he wasn't utilizing his gift like he once did. But part of that, what, part of why that happened, I think, is, you know, part of why we get busy, too busy to do the right thing, is fear. We have a fear of not being liked fear that I won't get that promotion if I don't spend the extra time, fear of letting somebody down, or fear of being alone with our own thoughts. If I'm busy, I don't have to stop and think. Or fear of having a tough conversation. Timothy is in Ephesus, and they're a little hostile toward Christianity in Ephesus at the time. They almost, we talked about this on Sunday, they almost tore Paul limb from limb for hurting uh, the Artemis idol-making industry. Right? I, uh, Artemis, or Diana, was the, the main goddess of the, of the area, and there was a whole little cottage industry of guys that made little you know, statues and idols of her. And Paul comes into town preaching about there's one true God, and, and Diana is not it, and people start believing, and it's hurting their business. They almost tore him limb from limb. That's the minute. That's the area where Timothy is ministering. I think he was a little afraid to make waves. Right? He's, he's just trying to keep it low key. Because he tells him to kindle afresh, or your Bible may say, fan into flame your gift. And flames draw attention. 
he reminds them that this gift is from God. It should not be something that you neglect. You kindle a, a, a fire, you build it up, you stoke it up, and it's, it's going to draw some attention. But that's what fire is supposed to do. Timothy, he's so worried about keeping the peace and not making waves, he's, he's defaulting to his natural tendency, right? He's naturally timid. His personality was shy and non-confrontational. And, and it was against his natural leaning, right, to teach the Word in a powerful, loving, disciplinary way, right, in a confrontational way that sometimes is necessary. Galatians 3, verse 3, Paul said this. He said, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul didn't want Timothy to go back on his, to his, own, his old ways, his, his own tendencies. Because our flesh, that's what it wants. Uh, it wants to assert itself and, and take the wheel at all times. It's our gifts, though, that whatever it is, if you've trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you have has given you some sort of gift. I don't know what yours is, and you may have multiple. Uh, but our gifts are, I think, a little bit like a campfire, right? It may, if you leave it alone long enough, it may look like it's out, but you stir it up a little bit with a little activity, and it'll blaze right back up. There's, there's something God is wanting you to do with your gift. 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. I'm running a little bit long here. He says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, or to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Listen, this may be um, harder for some of you than others, but I encourage you to to speak to another believer, um, someone you trust, and have them lay hands on you and pray for you. Pray for your gifting. Uh, pray for discernment. Pray for new zeal. Pray for healing. It's something that this is should be indicative of a New Testament church and a New Testament believer. There should be the laying on of hands. And there's something to it. It's not, you know, it's not just something that weirdo people do, right? And if they are a little weird, that's okay, because that's what holy means. It means to be strange, to be a little bit different. But Paul had laid hands on Timothy, and he's reminding him, look, I touched you and prayed for your gifting. Uh, we were that intimate and that close. Verse 7. Says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love, and discipline. Timothy is naturally timid, uh, and he's, he's facing real opposition in the church and in the community. And there are lots of things working against him. And his flesh is eager to remind him of all the reasons he should not be bold. When that fear rises up in you, all, telling you all the reasons you should not be bold. All the reasons you should not take a stand. You should not speak up. 
uh, it's not from God. Now there may be there may be times where there's a, a reasonable thing, right? 